episode of the FPL Fantasy Amateurs of Oz podcast. Tonight, joining me is Fox Sports football analyst and host of Fox Football podcast, Adam Peacock. How are you, mate? Good. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad, mate. Just finished work for the weekend, so kick back and probably watch some Premier League in the morning, mate. Half your luck. I can't do that anymore because I have children and uh, work and other things like that. So I remember those days when <laughs> I just didn't have any responsibilities in life, basically, or less meaningful ones. No, that's and, it. Um, yeah, I, I, my life consists now of uh, my big decision is to, on Optus, choose the nine-minute highlight package or the three-minute highlight package, given how time poor I am. So, yeah, half your luck. Enjoy that. No, nah, definitely. Yeah, well, I'm lucky my um, young fella wakes up about five o'clock in the morning, so <laughs> makes it convenient to get up and uh, watch the replays. So. Exactly. Um, what have you been doing to keep sane over the, like, the last two months of lockdown over here, mate? Um, well, I live in Sydney, so I've been really lucky. We, we live in a kind of nice part. We, we were part of the lockdown in January, so we've had our fair share of um, of locked away from the rest of society moments. But I do feel sorry for a lot of people in Western Sydney. This one's been a lot harsher than the one that we had in January. But uh, I live in on the northern beaches, so I'm pretty simple. It's um, just go for a walk maybe once a day, maybe pick up a coffee or, or whatever. We've got a bit of a backyard at our place, so that's the out there all the time. And, um, yeah, just try and stay out of each other's hair in, inside. I feel sorry for, as well, my, my teenage kids especially. This is the, the part of life where you, you're really socialising, you're building your social skills, and, and they've had that ripped away from them for a couple of months. But we're back into it now. So, yeah, it's um, there's light at the end of the tunnel, which is good. How are you going through it all? Yeah, not too bad. Sort of being in the country in New South Wales, we sort of haven't been too bad. But yeah, the last probably two months is starting to wear thin, trying to find activities for a three-year-old to do. So mm. definitely only so much um, Play-Doh you can uh, get out before it becomes old. So Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair um, enough. <laughs> growing up in Sydney, mate, uh, what club did you support? Uh, growing up in Sydney, I always supported Newcastle United because my father but where I am on the beaches, there was no real NSL attachment. So, I mean, the Warringah Dolphins back in the day were the local club. Um, but I always kind of watched the NSL but didn't feel that connected to it because yep. geographically I was so far away. When Northern Spirit came in for a couple of years, yeah, there was an attachment there, absolutely, and went to North Sydney Oval a few times. But, um, yeah, there was, there was no real close attachment to a said club which I guess in a way manifested itself to how I feel about the Socceroos these days. Yeah. Because I'd never miss a Socceroos game, ever. And I was like, and I can still remember as clear as day, when when England came here, oh, it was late 80s, early 90s. Like, can't remember the exact year, but I remember having a conversation with my mum because we used to have, kind of like people boarding with us and at that time we had this English guy staying with us and he was dead keen. He had his England shirt on, he was going and at the last minute I said, oh, can I go, can I go? And yep. my mum didn't let me when I was 11 <laughs> and I was ropeable, yep. absolutely ropeable. He said, oh, you got school tomorrow and this, that and the other. So the, the Socceroos were were it, like and yep. all that heartbreak of not making it and um, yeah, the Italian 90 was the first one I can really remember. I was, what, 11, 12 then? 
Um, yep. That was the first one I really got my teeth into and yeah, Les and Johnny and SBS and waking up at 5 o'clock to watch the big match and freezing middle of winter watching these magnificent stadiums in Italy be filled with the brim and these big matches. So, yeah, international football um, kind of grabbed me and, and in particular the Socceroos from a very young age. Yeah. No, so I was born in uh, 90, so... I sort of, I, I, we didn't really get obviously the access to what I guess other countries do with the football, but definitely SBS was pretty much uh, what I called home for football for me as yeah. a young child. So, well, you would have had that same thing that I had in 2002, just a hell of a lot better time zone with Japan <laughs> and Korea. So, like, you could probably remember that's the first World Cup that you can really, yeah, really get your head around. Yeah, no, nah, literally. I think the only thing I remember from the 98 World Cup would have been playing the World Cup 98 game where you'd always just be France or Brazil. I had an all-nighter the night Beckham got sent off because we played FIFA all night, stayed yep. up for the game, and then watched that classic between England and Argentina. So, yeah, that was cool. FIFA <laughs> 98, I think it was Blur. Blur Song 2 was the, the, the theme song from it. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, that's literally, it feels like that's what the childhood was in Australia. It was uh, FIFA and uh, watching football hours of the night. Mm. Um, how did you get into sports journalism? Uh, I realised pretty early that I wouldn't be good enough <laughs> to get paid to play sports. So I decided to go down the path of, and it was a choice between sports medicine because kind of human movement always interested me. Yep. But then I worked out pretty soon that it was really hard to get into because you needed to be actually quite intelligent. <laughs> so I went down the path of sports journalism. And, yeah, I think from all through my high school years, I was pretty intent on becoming a sports journalist. And, yeah, where there's a will, there's a way. I missed out on university, didn't get the marks required, and then just yep. went through the back door and um, did a one-year course at a place called McKay College where I got a diploma in journalism. And then it yep. ended up getting a gig at, at Channel 7 and – then I was off and running. Once you're in, you're in, and been there ever, been in the industry ever since. Do you ever sort of sit back and just say, see how crazy it is from where you were to where you are now? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I think, or well, not sometimes, I, I do realise how lucky I was, but I'm a pretty persistent bastard. So I think that <laughs> that came in in handy. I remember after I left McClay College, I looked for a job for six months and couldn't get one. Uh, yep. And then ended up, I just did a lot of work experience and just built a contact base and, yeah, just got in that way and ended up getting a really good job at Channel 7 in the end, oddly enough. I didn't have to go, fortunately, like a lot of people do, move and move into um, other areas of Australia to, to further my career and go work at a television station somewhere or a, or a newspaper somewhere. I ended up getting a gig at Epping, so I just had to hop in the car and drive 30 minutes from where I lived, yep. which was really lucky. And, yeah, but when I think of, of luck, well, for it to last this long, I, I don't I don't view it as luck because I actually have put in. So it's not yeah. like I've, I've kind of bought the, bought the boss a good bottle of wine every six months <laughs> to try and stay in the good books. I've, I've worked bloody hard. So um, in, in the sense of, yeah, working where I work, I'm lucky to work in the industry I work, but I haven't, like, uh, let it rest and, and thought for a moment, I can take this for granted or I can just get away with whatever I want to, you have to actually put in. So, yeah, it's a bit of a balance, but, yeah, absolutely a, an element of luck to it. No, I don't think you last as long as you have by just sort of 
coasting through it, I think you actually have to work really yeah. hard. So it just sort of shows how much you've actually done to get where you are. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Thank you. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> um, what advice could you give to someone who wants to get into the sports journalism? Be persistent. If it's what you want, don't don't take no for an answer. And, and yeah, you're going to have to accept that people are going to say no, but don't make that the end of it. It's like anything. It's it's like my kids don't want to be journalists, but I'll tell them the exact same thing. Yeah. That if if someone says no, but you really want to do that, we'll find another way. Just yep. give it a go, and eventually it might wear away at you to the point where you think, "Oh, I'll, I'll try something else here." It's not just working. That's fine, but at least give yourself a chance. Well, at least you've got the proof that it does work if you keep being persistent. So. It's good advice to give, obviously, teenagers as well once they start to get out into the big world. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I've got a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 12-year-old. The 16-year-old, even tonight, goes, when I told him he can't play FIFA until midnight because his sister next door is keeping her up, he's like, oh, well, can I move downstairs? And I said, no, that's the office. You can't. So, and I could see him thinking, I can't wait until I move out. And me, knowing that he's thinking that, me thinking to myself, buddy, you've got no idea until you get into the real world actually what moving out means, no. <laughs> the financial strain that's going to be put on your shoulders when you do. So, yeah, just relax a bit, buddy. Um, yeah, like I, I think I agree of, with you on that one, mate. Um, yeah. I'm sort of not at that stage yet. I've got a three-year-old and a uh, three-month-old, so plenty of time to get to your stage, mate. It'll happen. <laughs> Um, do you think with the A-League that it's heading in the right direction with all the positive things that uh, James Johnson's trying to implement in regards to like the second division and sort of the murmurs around the domestic transfer fees and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, we've certainly now got a CEO of the governing body who knows how the sport works inside out. Yep. David Gallup, as much as he's a good bloke and – an administrator is a pretty good one, smart guy, lawyer, Ben Buckley. Um, they were learning about how the sport worked on the job. Yeah. So that just naturally takes away time from what you need to be focused on in terms of a strategy standpoint. Yeah. James Johnson is not learning on the job. He's learning about bits and pieces, things thrown at him, um, which are always going to happen to the guy – at the head table, but he he knows how the sport works inside out. Yeah, that's why we have a women's world cup here. Exactly, I think that's massive. Like, you, I don't know if you noticed when you look at the women's world cup when it was announced, and they were all in that room last year. Yeah, go and have a look at it again, and have a look at James Johnson. Yeah, in the lead up to the announcement, he knew he'd got a message before it was even announced that you're in. You've got yep. it, it. Like he just knows stuff. He just knows how the sport works. Now, obviously, he's been served up a, a bit of a curveball with this Matilda situation, but that's a that's a bit of a follow on from what happened with the previous administration for totally ballsing up the Alan Stagich inquiry and sacking. And not saying that Stage did deserve to get sacked or didn't deserve to get sacked. What I'm saying is that they didn't get to the bottom of the whole problem, and that's yeah. why it's come back to bite them in the ass. Anyway, back to Johnson. Yeah, it, it's a positive that he's there. He's got a hell of a job, and yep. anyone who takes that role has a hell of a job. Now that the A-League's split, let's see how it's exactly going to work with the FA taking care of grassroots national teams. 
and the P. Um, what are they called again? The, uh, the A League men's, A League women's, yeah, uh, just the, the A Leagues looking after what they've got to look after. Hopefully, there's not a disconnect because this game can't afford a disconnect in this country. Exactly, because I don't like a lot of, I guess, the casual sort of football community, which is the people that don't really sort of follow the football uh, much in this country, kind of have the attitude that it lacks the quality and try to compare it to other leagues around the world, which I think is very unfair because I think in it, our league in its own right is its own sort of product. And I think with uh, last year with the COVID hitting financially, the teams that they didn't really have the money to get those marquee players in, so we kind of saw a lot more comments coming out saying, oh, A-League's not going to survive. But I thought it was actually a, a breath of fresh air with all the young players that actually got a chance to shine and showed that, you know, the future's actually pretty bright if we just give it a chance. I can't think of too many games I walked away from going to last year thinking that was an absolute stinker. Yeah. Like there was always something happening and there were some absolute beauties. Uh, the, I remember the night at Bankwest between... Western Sydney and Wellington, you rock up. I think it was a midweek game. You rock up and you think, oh, what are we going to get tonight? You end up with this 4-3 classic. It should have been 4-all, yep. but unfortunately Wellington were judged to be offside at the, at the death there. But, yeah, I can't think of too many stickers, but it goes back to the point now, what are the the um, the clubs going to do to get people through the gate? Because once you get them through the gate, you're half a chance of getting them back again because the atmosphere is so good and the football's pretty good live. Yeah. As well, but on the television as a television product, are they going to try and boost it in a way that it, it's going to make it seem something bigger than what it actually is? That's that's a very hard thing to do with television sometimes. Yeah, but with getting people through the gate, they just got to find a way because I reckon if they find a way to do that, people are going to go back because it's actually an enjoyable night out. Yeah, because I remember the days I uh, would have been when it's sort of about that two thousand and six, two thousand and seven sort of. The hype was massive, and being a Newcastle Jets fan, I remember getting 15,000 to a game and watching Nicky Cole score that outside finesse shot against Adelaide to win the game. It was like that type of stuff you don't get at other sports. That atmosphere was just incredible. Yeah, yeah, and that's the one thing football will always have, and that's why it's so important that head office, and I know how difficult it is. I've, I've been there for the ins and outs. I was there for the fans meeting when they had that showdown with the FFA that how difficult it is to get to allow fans to express themselves in a way that they don't in any other code. It's difficult because security doesn't get it, policing doesn't get it, and then once they do get it, there's a changing of the guard with local command and security guards go in and out and they're casual casual workers, so you're not going to have the same security guard at every single home game, and it's difficult. It's an education process that's a continual thing. Um, so if they can sort that out, I don't know how because it's so damn difficult. You don't under, you don't appreciate how hard it is for them to, yeah. to try and work it out. But yeah, that, that's one big thing to to allow this noise and this vibrancy happening at every single home game. That's that's what we're praying that. Um, and I think out of a pandemic, I think there'll be a natural kind of relief that we're now out and about again. Yeah. So hopefully that then allows the policing of things to think, oh, well, let's just let them go a bit, if you know what I mean. And, yeah. And let them be who they want to be. So it remains to be seen if that actually happens, though. Yeah, no. Well, like my wife, she's a rugby league girl through and through, and um, 
she went to the Asia Cup final in 2015 with me, and that was, I think it might have been um, not long after the State of Origin that the year before, and she was blown away by the atmosphere. She goes, this is, like, insane. Like, she goes, this is not like the State of Origin. This is, like, people almost, like, cheering because they're that emotionally attached. And I said, this is football. This is what, you know, this is what it should be, and this is what we're missing domestically, but... You know, and mm. her being a casual, she could see that that's the potential of what football is. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's once they're there and they see it, they think, oh, this is a bit different to what I actually thought it was going to be, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> exactly. I just, yeah, I think with the active support, there's that happy medium where you can, I guess, you have to understand it, that it, it might look like it's a little bit, you know, I guess, loose and out of control, but you know, that's emotion and that's why our sport is different to other sports is there's that much, such a lot of emotion attached to support. Yeah, definitely, definitely. In regards to the Women's World Cup, do you reckon um, it's not only will change the landscape for women's football but also have like a flow-on effect to the men's football as well? If they get it right with the financials and the deal, I don't know what the deal is with FIFA, but a legacy fund or, or whatever, yeah, it, it, it can definitely serve it, or serve it well. You look at the AOC who have set themselves up really well as an organisation off the back of hosting an Olympics in 2000. Yeah. And, yeah, they're not flush with money, but they're stable um, yeah. from what I can gather because they, they got a legacy fund out of hosting an Olympics and there's no reason why we shouldn't do the same. And, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of mouths to feed in. Australian football and there's a lot of people going to have their hands out but they shouldn't expect too much but yeah hopefully it's a you know the the best thing out of a women's world cup would be to see facilities at all major grounds be completely adequate which isn't the case at the moment namely Cooper Stadium yeah women's footballers as much as men's footballers so yeah we'll um we'll wait and see on that one but I I think there's a chance that it, it could help hugely Australian football. I wouldn't say it's going to change the face of the sport in the country. There's a lot of work to be done to make sure that happens. Yeah. Well, I think hopefully they've learnt their lesson from the Asia Cup because I believe we sort of dropped the ball because the momentum could have been massive for that. Just seeing the the stadiums packed out for didn't matter what team was playing, it was just massive and I feel like they kind of dropped the ball a bit. Yeah, that, that was a tough one because that was in summer. So as soon as the Asian Cup finished, it was straight back to A-League. The players, the majority of the players nicked off back to their clubs because they had to. Yeah. And then footy season was on us. And footy season, the start of a footy season, it's like, wow, this is the biggest thing ever and blah, 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 <laughs> AFL starting, NRL starting. But, guys, just another footy season starting. Calm down. But, yeah, yeah. Off, off the back of it, it was like, yeah, we celebrated for a day and then just got back to normal. Yeah. There was no, like, okay, well, what now? What are we going to do now with this sport in this country? And yeah, it was it was endemic of a of a organisation living day to day, basically. Yeah, no, it's sort of. I had a lot of um, mates who are rugby league fans, and they were blown away with how massive it was. They're like, "Oh, these are teams that no one really knows." I'm like, like when you look at the landscape of Australia, you've got so many different cultures, and I said like something like this is massive here because all the cultures then can actually get together and different nationalities can go watch their teams all together. So I said, it's just massive. Yeah. Yeah. And look, look at the fact that we haven't invited Iran for a friendly here. Yeah. Like work that out. 
when they were having, like they were getting 20, this, that many Iranians in Australia, it's not funny. And they yeah. love their football. Yeah, they do. It's just mind-blowing. Anyway. Yeah. That's a, I don't think we've got enough time on this pod to discuss why that. But anyway. <laughs> um, might get into uh, a sort of a bit of football overseas. Um, you being a Newcastle fan, mate, I sort of, the news over the past week in regards to the takeover, I think it's actually a massive. Um, my opinion on it is I think, it's even bigger this time around for Newcastle compared to the Man City because they do have that loyal fan base that's been there for ages that have been turning up week in, week out, whether they're the Championship or the Premier League. And I think that they've got a good grounding to make this into something massive and also the £350 million also help as well. What are um, your thoughts on it, mate? Billion pounds. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, yeah, billion, sorry. (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's Mike Ashley going is a positive. Who's coming in? It's you can't call it a positive because there's a few things at play there. Yeah, you can't call it unequivocally a positive. I should say on on the whole, there's a lot of good things about it in terms of what it's going to do for the club, the region, the city. Talking to my uncle who lives over there, he yep. says that the, the city was just alive. Last week, it was just we've got our football team back, we've got our soul back. It, and yeah, but people who a lot of journalists who um, were sitting down in London and, and tapping away at their keyboard saying how horrible this is because Saudi Arabia and their human rights record and all that valid points, but <laughs> you don't understand how what this club means to that city, and it's a yeah, it's not just a country town either, so it's. You are conflict. I am a little conflicted with. Uh, I hope they don't come in and just start spending two hundred million pounds in every transfer window for the next five windows. Yeah. And from what I can gather it after the first week, I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to take a more step by step approach. Yeah. And build the club and the infrastructure and the facilities around the club, which are archaic. So. Yeah. You know, I'm. I'm not against it. No way in the world. But I'm not totally in love with it as much as some people were. That night yep. when they got announced and they were at the front of the stadium, they got absolutely blotto. <laughs> yeah, I saw a lot of photos on Twitter of that. Um, uh, I think um, we, we were talking about it on our podcast the other day about it um, with the fellows that I usually do the pod with, and um, we fully agree with that. I think they start from the bottom with the youth, um, maybe do a couple of upgrades to the stadium and sort of get all those facilities in, in place, and then I feel like maybe in January they might be able to try pick up a couple of signings, probably some defensive signings, probably to boost um, that defense. But what do you think is, I guess, um, the ideal target for them this year? Is it just to survive safety or do you think they should be aiming maybe mid-table so they can hit the ground running next year? Well, somehow we finished mid-table last year. That was a miracle. Uh, <laughs> I think I think let's just survive first um, because yep. the, the important window, obviously, is the summer window and that's when you can really restructure things. Yeah. I think they'll they'll see it for the next, and that's probably why Steve Bruce has kept his job to now as we record this one, and we, we're talking hours before they play Spurs at home where yeah. the atmosphere is going to change. But I think they they just take it. They know that they can't do anything right now, so they'll wait until January. They'll get yep. what they need in January, get what they need to stay up, and then yep. go from there. See, I think they could even snag a Coutinho in January. Just to, I don't think he's too happy sort of playing that 10 minutes off the bench. 
Uh, I wouldn't say no to that. And Barcelona, <laughs> given their financial situation, it could be a easy one to go and get. <laughs> so uh, relatively easy, that is. But we'll wait and see because he might want Champions League football. So yeah, it's, yeah. Up to it's going to be difficult to, to get calib- the calibre of player like that through the door in the first two years because we won't have Champions League football, I reckon, for the, f- for the first three, four years. It'll take that long. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was listening to a podcast today and I was saying how it's easy for people to say they're going to be top four. But if you look at the Premier League now, it's it's actually quite competitive from first to probably maybe about ninth or tenth. So mm. sort of I, I think that um, – and I'm hoping that they, with their money, they spend it wisely and don't just sort of, I guess, like you said, throw the money out and to get whatever they want. Sort of, I guess, be smart with their spending as well. Yeah, th- there's no point in – in being stupid, uh, Manchester City were pretty. I'd say they were stupid with their money. They were pretty free willing at the start of it all, and they had that scattergun approach. But the, I mean, one of their first windows, they bought Sergio Aguero. Vincent Company was there when it all began as well, so it, it wasn't too bad. They didn't get a hell of a lot wrong, put it that way. So they, they set the club up pretty well, and and now yeah. they're not making too many mistakes as um, over a decade on. Yeah, no, that's it. Um, might play a bit of a game with you, mate, if that's all right. Yeah, go for it. Put yourself in the shoes of the new Newcastle boss slash ownership. Um, mm-hmm. What would your first marquee signing be that you'd target sort of similar, I guess, to the Rubinho, signer, uh, Rubinho signing for City when they took over? Oh, first marquee signing. Yeah, that's a, that's a difficult one because you, you probably want to go on the continent, but... Again, it's it's hard to get these players that are at big European clubs to come to a joint where you're not going to play European football for a while, but the wages are so astronomical that you'll probably I mean, you can have go to go. Like the realistic and half unrealistic sort of somewhere oh, in between. Unrealistic and Golo Kante, that, <laughs> that would be handy. Yeah. Remember that band through that they did of the, the – the, the Newcastle team. <laughs> it was and, insane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Someone's played too much FIFA, I think. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, it'd be good for Callum Wilson to have some regular help up front. Yeah. Um, a little less unrealistic if you chuck some ridiculous wages. I'd love to see a front two of... Um, Wilson and I don't know uh, Antonio from from West Ham maybe. I think that'd be great. So that'd be actually a great partnership because Antonio could hold it up and Wilson could get free in the box. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's no team that loves a strike partnership more. I'd say than Newcastle, given some of the ones that we had during our last consistent successful time of the the mid nineties. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, on our uh, podcast uh, this week, um, had a couple of names that got thrown around as unrealistic ones was Hallen. <laughs> oh, yeah, Erling Hallen. Yeah, yeah. yeah Hallen and St. Max up front, mate. I think you'd be scoring a few goals. I reckon. <laughs> and then um, my pick was, I guess, sort of unrealistic as well. I sort of went uh, Raheem Sterling just because of the news that come out that he was wanting to look elsewhere if they're not going to play him. Yeah. I think he wants to go and play in Spain, doesn't he, to test yeah, himself I'd... over there, which just 
at the moment means he's going to Real Madrid because <laughs> Barcelona sure as hell can't afford him. But, yeah. Um, another one is uh, who are two realistic signings, I guess, that of the smaller-priced signings probably domestically? Well, yeah, we need, we need we needed a central defender, and everyone was laughing about about James Tarkovsky from Burnley. But yeah. that's actually pretty much bang on what we need, <laughs> oddly <laughs> enough. And I, I heard Guardiola after the game overnight, he, he said they've got so many fantastic players, and they, he named three of them, and one of them was Tarkovsky. So obviously Pep knows who he is. If Pep knows who he is, who are we to say that it would, would be a ridiculous signing? So someone yeah. like that, like someone who can – who can provide a bit of um, stability at the back. I mean, at the moment we're playing at back three as it stands yep. right now before the Spurs game again. But, yeah, it's um, it, somewhere, somewhere like that, a, a proven Premier League player who's going to make us better. That's what we need at the moment. We don't need worldy signings. We need proven Premier League players to make yep. us better to avoid relegation. No, exactly. I, sort of, I was listening to a pod today as well about how they're saying you kind of need the plays that come in that are going to be happy to get you where you need to be for three years, but then obviously once you sort of get to where you want to be, are happy to be squad players. Yeah, or move on because they've had a great time and they've been paid well and go and, yep. go and be the man somewhere else as well. Yeah, no, exactly. I could actually see you getting a result in the morning against Spurs, I think, because they're not looking crash hot this year. I'll reserve judgment. Steve Bruce is still <laughs> the manager. Mainly because Callum Wilson's back. I sort of I rate him and St. Max up front big time. So um, we had a few questions sent in um, from a few people from the Twitter, if you don't mind answering them, mate. Go for it. Uh, what are your two greatest football moments slash memories covering football on Fox? Um, grand final. Which grand final, though? That's the hard one. Oh, look, the 2-2 the was just batshit crazy. <laughs> yeah. I remember standing. I was doing the presentation that night, Central Coast, but Brisbane Suncorp Stadium, twenty eleven. Yeah, twenty eleven. Yep. Yeah, it was. Truth, ten years ago, <laughs> and I was just about to start talking. It was like ten seconds, and I looked down, and literally ten meters away, right in front of the sta- of the stage, standing by himself. Was Graham Arn looking at me, just shaking his head, going, "What the hell just happened?" He, he <laughs> like he looked like he'd seen a ghost. He looked like he'd seen twenty ghosts. Yeah, it was just an incredible night, and felt so sorry for the Central Coast Mariners. And on the flip side, it was just amazing that again, Ange Postecoglou produced this finish, like he'd always done at South Melbourne, and yeah, he, he taught that Brisbane side to do. Um, Another good one, oh, look, I was on tour, but when, yeah, when Millay, oh, no, when Timmy scored that goal in Porto Alegre. Oh, like amazing. Yeah, so in, like, we weren't covering it for Fox. We were there for Fox and we were doing, like, reports and things like that, so we weren't actually working on the game. Yep. But oh, far out. <laughs> we should have should have got something out of that game and it was it was good to watch in so many levels, namely because the Dutch expected something that they, in the end, they got, but very nearly they got their pants pulled down because they just thrashed Spain like four yeah. days earlier. Yeah, and yeah, we we sh- we really should have. And poor old Matty Ryan, he learnt the hard way. 
Um, yeah. Just made a, a bad mistake and and we didn't get anything from it. To this day, I still don't know how that wasn't given goal of the tournament. It's because Tim Cahill plays for Australia. He doesn't play for a big European country. I just or a like, big South American country. Like I've played soccer uh, for about 25 years and to do that the way he did it is you could try it probably 20,000 times and you wouldn't get it once. Yeah, it's weird. I was I did a lot of study because I actually wrote a lot about that. I did some stories about it and copied yep. together for a book. But I did a lot of study on on because I wanted to know why why does Tim why was Tim always in the right place at the right time? And yep. okay, he was a fantastic header of the ball. But you watch that goal; he reacts half a second quicker as soon as the ball leaves the boot of Ryan McGowan because he knows where it's going to drop. Yeah, and I was actually down the park with my son today, and I said, and I was sending some absolute junk crosses like crap. But (laughs) like the best one is like when you're doing that, you you go, well, mate, you don't know where it's going to go in a game, so you just have to adjust down here, pal, while you're practicing. It's like so many variables in football, (laughs) mainly down down there. It's mainly down to my ineptability. But um, when we were. And I explained to him, I said, mate, the, the reason why Tim Cahill scored a lot of goals wasn't because he was the best header in, this, in the world. Okay, that could have been a very good reason and he may yeah. well have been, but it was because he was able to judge the flight of the ball off his boot quicker than anyone, off, off whoever was delivering the ball quicker than anyone. It's incredible. Yeah, don't have a look at his goals, like how he adjusts himself. And sometimes he gets the beautiful cross; he doesn't have to move. But a lot of the time, he has to adjust, like half a foot this way, a meter that way. He's he's just an absolute freak. Tim, like even that, I think that goal he scored against Chelsea, the bicycle kick for Everton, like that was amazing as well. Like I just I know, feel like we he were watching it. We didn't know he could do that. <laughs> No, I just think he was like, I guess over here he wasn't underrated because it was pretty much wanting to name your first born child after Tim Cahill. But mm. on a world stage, like to see Jaimez Rodriguez goal get goal of the tournament, I was kind of like, I, I probably see that maybe five times every Premier League season. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But because he played for a South American country and the World Cup was in South America, that's probably why he won it. And then even like the Riley McGree goal sort of at that game, at mm. Newcastle when that happened and that didn't even get a mention. And I was thinking like <laughs> that was just everything, like the the situation, the goal was scored in, the type of goal it was, it was just, yeah. Yeah, but that was because half of Egypt vote for no, <laughs> probably more than half of Egypt. Unborn people in Egypt voted for Mo Salah <laughs> in that one. That's what got him across the line. But good luck to him. He's yeah. a fabulous footballer. Yeah. I would make a shout for him to be the Ballon d'Or this year. He is playing incredible at the moment. Yeah, yeah, he's he's pretty good to watch. That was um, well, that was that wasn't football. That was rap dancing. What he did this morning, that was incredible. Yeah, it was ridiculous. He every week he just seems to you think, oh, you know, he might do that again, and then the next game he's just doing the exact same thing, or maybe something a bit better. So. He he he's so good to watch in the final third because he just then he just goes on the, the autopilot, and yep. that's just you can imagine him doing that wherever he grew up in Egypt. As a ten-year-old in the street with no shoes on, yeah, just a ball and his mates and whatever they use for goals, and that's where he's um, he's developed that. It's just so good to watch. Yeah, no, it is. See, I'm a Man United fan, so I 
it's hard to uh, to hate Liverpool when you're just seeing how amazing he is. <laughs> yeah. Another question is pretty interesting. Got sent in. If you owned a football club, who would you rather have, Prime Ronaldo or Prime Messi? Prime Messi. A bit more of a triple threat, I think. With prime. all due respect to Prime Ronaldo, as good as he was, <laughs> and still is, uh, <laughs> Prime Messi because he he made others look so good around him. Yeah. Whereas Ronaldo made himself look good and others, but yeah, made himself look good, and that's the way he was and is. <laughs> yeah. Look, I wouldn't be disappointed if I was left with him, but <laughs> if I had the choice, I'd go Prime Messi. Definitely. I don't think we're really going to see, I guess, two plays that are that dominant for a bit, I don't think. Oh, never know. You don't know what's around the corner. You never know. Never know. I mean, when Maradona finished playing, probably people say, oh, we'd never see an Argentinian with a left foot as good as him. Well, <laughs> little bloke who used to play for Barcelona went close. <laughs> I'm not saying he surpassed him, but he went close. Oh, I think the discussion should be had, though. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I guess... When you haven't watched Maradona for so long, it's probably easy to say that. But I think that he's getting to the point where you can almost sort of, I guess, mention him around sort of similar. Yeah, yeah, different reasons. They love him. They love Maradona more in Argentina. Yeah. Because Messi primarily, even though he won a Copa last year, primarily his great moments have come in a Barcelona shirt, whereas Maradona, he won a freaking World Cup by himself, literally yep. by himself. And they were, everyone was trying to kick the shit out of him. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, who do you think will win the EPL this year, mate? Chelsea, but they're not filling me with great confidence at the moment. But there might this might be just one of those periods that ever every club goes. I just like their depth. Their, yeah, their their depth across everything. I mean, Manchester City will run them close, and Liverpool. I can't discount them, and I think Manchester United there. Their um, failings have been exposed yeah. against Everton and then definitely against Leicester. <laughs> they don't have a number six. I'm preaching the converted here, talking to you, but yeah. they don't have a number six. No. Uh, they don't have a number six. Yeah, you, I still don't know shit. how Fred plays every week. I'd... Yeah, they, they don't have a guy who can control the tempo of a game. Yeah. Pogba sort tries. Like four skulls, I guess what he did for us when he played in the middle. Of the yeah, party. and even a Roy Keane. Like, he controlled the tempo of a game in a kind of slightly aggressive way. <laughs> but he controlled things. Yeah. Vieira controlled things. Like, go back that far. Rodri, the, ro- the role he plays, and I still, for the life of God, can't work out why he didn't play that Champions League final. But anyway, yeah. he, he controls how Manchester City play because yeah. they, they're, they're going to have 70% of possession in just about every game they play. But he, he controls things. Like Manchester United don't have that. But anyway, um, I think, yeah, either Chelsea because of their depth just ahead of Manchester City and and Liverpool thereabouts, and I'm not going to rule them out, no way. Yeah, no, definitely. That's sort of how I see it at the moment. I sort of was was hopeful for Man United, but I think we're in a bit of trouble at the moment. Yeah. Um, Do you see a reality where Australia has an A-League that has promotion and relegation and that it's sustainable. Oh yeah, but I reckon my kid'll my kids will have kids by then. <laughs> uh it's a while off. I know the NPL landscape. Yeah. In Sydney at the very least. Yeah. There's not many that can jump in. Let's be realistic. But if we do it the right way over the next ten years, there's no reason why. 
We can't. Yeah, like, it's got to be aspirational. I'd love to see it. But at the moment, the gap between what the A-League clubs have and what the NPL clubs have is night and day almost. Yeah. Yeah, like I could imagine in maybe. <laughs> 10 years' time, maybe like a Sydney United and uh, and a South Melbourne or something facing off uh, to get promotion. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to see the the playoff game, probably yep. a two-legger, bottom <laughs> of the A-League, top of, top of the NPL around around Australia. But, hey, let's, let's get a second division happening first. Yeah, uh, no, definitely. See how that pans out and then... Once that's sustainable, yeah, let's let's open it up. Pro real. I'm hoping um, the second division sort of brings back a lot of the old heads that sort of don't really want to follow a team in the A League and don't really want to sort of follow the A League in general. But hopefully, with the second division coming back, it might sort of get them old heads sort of back in amongst it and hopefully build sort of the hype up for the A League coming up. Well, it's always been the the issue of football in this country that everyone hasn't felt like they're part of it. All the yep. time. Yeah. So I, I can't see how a second division hurts that. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, with the signing of Daniel Sturridge, how massive is this for the A-League? Well, I fit Daniel Sturridge, I might add. Yeah, it's 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 good. It, presuming he's fit, he hasn't played a lot. He had that betting issue over in, in Turkey and he's, he's not played a lot in the last 12 months, put it that way. But it, presuming, and this could be the environment for him, he's going to get a lot of love down here. A lot of people... Have long memories. It's not that long ago, 2013, 14, when Liverpool made that run for the title. That, and he was a massive reason why. Yeah, uh, he he is going to be loved down here. So that hopefully brings out the best in him. Um, it helps. I, I don't think it's as big as the Del Piero signing. No way in yeah. the world. That was no. That was mental. <laughs> um, but this guy's a, a little cog. I reckon. Yeah. And if they get another one, if another club somewhere gets another one, I don't know how. I don't know where but that helps as well and then you get start the process of getting people through the gate and once they're through the gate they'll see what it actually is yeah no exactly i'm excited to see what daniel sturridge is going to be here so if he is fit i reckon it's going to be great but obviously as you noted there are a few question marks around it it's a hard league to play in and i remember Ange telling me way back 10 years ago it's a young man's league because you do so much travel you play in the summer, hard grounds, hot conditions. If you're if you're vulnerable physically, you're going to get found out. Yeah. Well, hopefully, do you see, I guess we saw the quality improve a fair bit when we sort of moved into winter a little bit last season. I, I could see, like, I guess you've got to compete with the other sports, but I actually think it's probably viable. Hmm. Oh, we're forward. heading for net zero, so surely it cools down this summer, doesn't it? Yeah. We had a we had a really mild summer last year in most parts of the country and we're lucky. I can't remember too many games that were like, oh no, it's thirty eight degrees. We need to have fourteen drinks breaks. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So hopefully we get away, but we're hoping. Um, hopefully we get away with some reasonable conditions for the players to to give what they gave us last season. No, exactly. Well, that about wraps up our podcast tonight. I'd like to thank you, Adam, for coming on, mate. I know you've had a busy schedule, but um, very much appreciated. No worries, mate. Pleasure. And I recommend heading over to wherever you listen to your podcast as well and download the Fox Football podcast as well as Adam's covering pretty much every talking point domestically and across the world. 
And as always, head over to our Twitter, FPL underscore amateur underscore Oz, and our Facebook, FPL Amateurs of Oz. You'll find our podcast at Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And remember, if you enjoy our podcast, give us the five-star rating so we can reach as many ears as possible. And I'll see you later in the week for another FPL pod with my co-host, Damon. Thank you.